Welcome to episode 135 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. My family moved a few days ago. We're still in the Boston area, about 10 miles from our old home. It's not like we changed cities or moved across the country, yet there's a recentering that happens when you move, even if it's just 10 miles. What once felt really far away suddenly is around the corner. It's like my worldview in a Google map has been expanded. New possibilities are available to us now. We're discovering new town resources, including a pool and an ice skating rink. We joined neighborhood Facebook groups and found free furniture for our new home office. We're making new friends through chance encounters in my son's new preschool. It made me wonder about how we're all living with these possibilities just outside our usual scope. If we zoom out just a little bit, what would we discover? Your challenge for this week, break your routine and choose a new path. Go to work a different way and look for serendipity. Say hello to the person who's always in the coffee shop the same time as you. Make eye contact with strangers on the bus. Try a new restaurant in a different part of your city. There is a treasure trove of possibilities awaiting your discovery. Try this. Let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest helps global leaders enhance their ability to adapt, contribute, collaborate, and grow. A former Financial Times executive, she started out her career working on strategy as a management consultant and as an assistant to Dr. Henry Kissinger at Kissinger Associates in New York. She's an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School Executive MBA Global Asia and the author of Future Proof, Reinventing Work in an Age of Acceleration. After a diverse global business career spanning over two decades and four continents, her priority now is to help others reimagine a productive, profitable, and exciting future of work for themselves and their companies via teaching, writing, and consulting. Please join me in welcoming Diana Wu David. Thank you very much, Robbie. It's great to be here. Diana, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Hong Kong and the magic of technology and allowing us to have a conversation across many time zones. So as you know, this is a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Um, I think my brother would probably tell you it was age five when he was born. And I finally realized I could stand in front of somebody and boss them around. <laughs> but I've grown greatly from, from there. Um, and I think that leadership um, in, for instance, college, I was a hall director, which is somebody who sort of takes care of the dorm and the 200 students. And I don't remember why I decided to do that, aside from the fact that it meant a lot to me when I went off to college to have somebody giving me a soft landing, kind of helping me through. And I thought that'd be a nice thing to do for other people. Um, and then it occurred to me that I had to be responsible for them. Uh, and, and, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, aside from the one time when the fire alarm went off and they had to come back in and get me instead of the other way around. But other than that, 
um, it was just an opportunity to, to really gather people together and to help them be their best selves. And that's really what inspires me to lead. Yeah. So then is that also how you think of leadership is about um, sort of stepping up and helping, helping people accelerate, like accelerate their dreams and like be their best selves? I do think about it in terms of unlocking potential. I think, you know, through a long corporate career, the thing that really inspired me was looking at the individuals um, that I had reporting to me or, you know, in the teams and thinking, wow, what is there, you know, what is there something special? What is it that I can do to help them find that and sort of unleash it for the good of the company? So um, yeah, that it's really a driver for me. Mm. I like that you went back to f- when you were five years old <laughs> and, uh, and a big sibling <laughs> for the first time. A lot that, of times, that was a pure power play, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. which is different, right? And you've learned that there's a difference of like being sort of the, the uh, dictator, benevolent or otherwise, it sounds like at five. Um, and then, um, but maturing and even in college, taking on that role of hall director, my wife was in uh, residence life for her most of her career just recently shifted away from it. And so um, we totally you know, live that. Um, I actually currently still live on the college campus where she worked and we're, we're heading off. But it's really interesting to think about being in charge of these young people's like live, like feeling confident and, and being safe and taking care of them. Um, and it is a quite the responsibility that maybe before you signed up, you hadn't even realized you were up to the task, but then what happened when you realized you then were in charge? Um, So I think that, um, you know, we had our fair share of support uh, and in particular from peers. So the, um, the woman who had the hall next to mine became my best friend for a long time. Uh, and she and I would sort of talk about both how to, um, you know, bring out the best in our communities, gather them together, have fun, um, and provoke them a little bit. Uh, and so I think that that certainly um, the college where I went to school, the president was amazing. Uh, he had uh, just a, he's a scientist. It just had a very calm way about him, met with everybody. So I just had great role models in terms of leadership and you know, what was expected of me and, you know, what, um, I guess it almost was like a shepherding uh, aspect to it, you know, what I could do to ensure that everybody had the best experience in the same way that I did when I landed on campus. Um, so it was really a, a nice way to begin leading other people. So your um, introduction that I shared a few minutes ago has some really strong credibility statements built into that around being a former financial time executive and being an assistant to Dr. Henry Kissinger. Um, You're now working at an executive MBA program for Columbia. Um, These all sound like amazing opportunities. So what was the trajectory? Was it like a linear line? Did you know what you wanted to do early on? Does it make more sense in a rearview mirror kind of way? Or does it still sort of... uh, you're just following your instincts. Oh, of course it's not linear. <laughs> I think um, not, not at all. I think that when you look back, you can see uh, that certain passions and values have really come through. Um, and there's been 
So for me, I think um, writing and storytelling have always been super important to me. Not necessarily, you know, my my functional role in a company, um, but even in high school, you know, I thought I really want to be a writer or journalist, and I want to travel the world. So um, seeing the world and and telling stories was really my driver. And then I had somebody from uh, Columbia University, I remember, on campus saying to me in high school, oh, you don't want to study writing, go like live a little and then come back. And he really discouraged me from, from doing anything in journalism. Um, so, so I didn't. And um, again, in business school, you know, I, I thought, oh, I really want to do something international. And somebody said, you know, you're we have students from China and Argentina and all these different places. What do you have to offer? Nothing. You can't go into international business. Um, so to a certain extent, I think that, you know, like water through rock, your, um, you know, you, those drivers and those passions tend to, to keep showing up until you pay attention to them. Um, but much of the other um, aspects of my career have been, you know, um, accidental or uh, based on a reaction to one thing. I went to business school because I was working for Kissinger and that the security guy, the head of the security detail, it was all these special ops guys, um, was saying, oh, you can't go to another job. Dr. Kissinger doesn't like that. You got to go to school. And I thought, well, I kind of wanted to go to school anyway, so I guess I'll apply. <laughs> um, you know, it I'd like to say a lot of it is premeditated and I work hard and I know what I want, but so much of it is um, sort of a productive accident. I love that you can name these three particular conversations that were influential, like these throwaway lines that you took to heart and really thought, okay, how am I going to apply that piece of, you know, tidbit? It's, you know, it's not even fact. It's like tidbit. It's It's like, innuendo almost and you were like okay then I'll try it this way I'll try it this way but that the driver like you, I love the water through rocks like it, you, you know no matter what you still kept seeing this show up and in the end you you followed that I mean I'm speaking to you across many time zones like for a reason like you managed to create a life in that way um, tell me how you end up going though from college to working for Kissinger because that's got to have a relationship component. I mean, that seems like an incredible... No, it doesn't. That's it doesn't. Such a great, it doesn't. It's so... But I mean, it does in the sense that, you know, I did actually um, move to New York uh, for a relationship I was in. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it ends there. And I was in New York City and my I was staying with a friend of my parents and just, you know, looking at the New York Times, the back of the newspaper, circling little ads, maybe someday I'll get a job somewhere. And I, I answered a classified ad that said multinational company, bilingual French English. And I thought, okay, fine. And I went to this really weird hole in the wall where there were two like super private detective looking people that were like chain smoking and they were like, Diane, are you, we know just the place for you. And, and I was thinking, this is so weird. It's like out of a movie, but I just moved from, you know, the West coast. I grew up in Arizona, kind of small town going, what well, could be interesting. So maybe I'll just go. 
and I need a job. Uh, so I went and they wouldn't tell me who it was even. And so I just dressed up and showed up and it turned out to be Kissinger's office. I, wow. I literally didn't. I didn't know what I was applying for. I didn't know what it was. Came with my little paper. That could have turned out so bad. <laughs> I know. I just, and then, you know, it was kind of like two years of very interesting, uh, uh, sometimes challenging circumstances. But you're right. It, I did international relations for my undergrad. So it wasn't, you know, a total um, crazy step. But and, and then I got hired. I went through three interviews. And uh, the last one was with the great man himself. And I had studied international relations. So I was like, I'm just going to keep doing the interviews because maybe I'll meet him. <laughs> that was sort of like, and then it'll be a great story to tell. And in fact, I got the job and spent two years um, working there, which was the longest anyone had ever spent in my position. <laughs> so that's the relationship story. None. <laughs> And although I think what I can pull from that is the willingness to take some risk and to sort of follow the story to see where it goes and, you know, that you had preparation. I mean, you had the degree, you were knowledgeable about the area, you felt confident that you could communicate about the topic. Once you realized who it was, you, that you didn't say, oh my gosh, forget it. I'm not qualified and shy away. You were like, well, Maybe at least get to shake his hand and I can always tell us at a cocktail party. I mean, you set yourself some goals and all of that. Uh, so, you know, there's there's things I think anyone listening can apply, you know, although the, the looking in the back of the class of ads is such a different time now, you know? know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that the interesting thing is that I came from a place that was quite informal and I moved to New York City and it was the largest culture shock ever. And the relationship aspect was something I learned while at Kissinger Associates in New York. And, um, you know, he, he, that is a person who really knows how to facilitate and, and, um, you know, his relationships. And so, yes, I got there and you were saying, oh, you had something to say about the topic. The irony is, as an undergraduate, I arrived saying, I'd love to tell you what I think about international relations. And it was very much like, go get the tea. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was a little bit of a, a shock, but just being around somebody like that and seeing how he would talk to people and then how he would sort of facilitate some of those conversations and then bring them into future conversations. Because, of course, you remember I had to get the tea, as Kissinger used to say. Used to say, you have to go all the way to China to get the tea. Because I was actually terribly bad at getting the tea. Um, but, but I got sort of a ringside seat at all these amazing conversations with the top media people of the day and prime ministers. And it was just fascinating. And... What a what I an amazing a <laughs> yeah! I was gonna say what a what a like opportunity to be a fly in the wall to to witness someone who had that caliber of a networking prowess and the introductions that he was able to make and the convening that he did and the collaborations that he sort of inspired. I mean, that's that's a, for you now to think about how you were able to take that into the rest of the career that you've had, where at the time you were just soaking it in, not knowing exactly how you'd apply it. I imagine. You know, you were still, 
you were still a young adult at that time, right? This is like in your 20s. Oh yeah, it was my yeah. first job out of college. That's and amazing. I, I mean, I didn't even know I was soaking it in. I was actually a, a typical, you know, people talk about millennials now, but I was the typical petulant, resentful, like, you know, why do I have to get the tea? I have good ideas too. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's only been later that I look back and think, wow, that like understanding East Coast, you know, power dynamics, cult, it was really amazing. And, you know, for I, it opened doors for me, absolutely. Um, to come to Asia, people I would interview who knew him would um, really give me uh, a lot of consideration and allow me to form relationships with them that I never would have had. So mm. that, that was it. That was yeah. the launching of the relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Your whole network really kind of spawned from this chance ad that you answered and, and that where, where it led. And so similarly, um, where were you living when you worked for Financial Times? So I um, started in Financial Times in Asia. I came out to Hong Kong in 1999. And I guess uh, this is starting to sound like a trend. I <laughs> saw an ad in the back of my alumni magazine for the Luce Foundation who sends Americans to Asia. So I came out uh, on that uh, nonprofit grant and it's a sort of prestigious fellowship sending Americans to Asia for 10 months so that when they return, they can find Asia on the map. <laughs> but um, I stayed and uh, Financial Times was actually because I needed a job and uh, we were back in Hong Kong and, and, um, and I just called up a friend who was with me in the internet days, the early 90s, and said, okay, I just sold my company. I had, had launched this, um, actually this kind of design company in New York. We, um, were, we had just moved back to Hong Kong after two years in New York. And I said, I want a job. All the entrepreneurs are going to like nod their head. I said to my friend, I just had a baby. I want a job. I don't care what it is. I want it to have people I can talk to, like pseudo friends. I don't care who they are. Water cooler chat. I'm just so tired of being by myself in my own, you know, my own company. Um, so friends and a regular paycheck. That's really all I need. And if it's close to my house so I can come back and see my baby, then even better. So uh, this woman, Christy Lou Stout, who's at CNN now, um, she's really a couple days later said, I have somebody to talk to. They work at Financial Times. You have to go talk to them. And, you know, it was for a different job, but then I ended up in, in circulation, which is a job I'd never done before based on that relationship and that trust. Wow. See, it, it's interesting how you, a uh, couple of things. One, you were not afraid to put out into the universe exactly what you wanted <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> Even yes, though you were like, low, <laughs> yeah, you were like, I get, yeah, you were like, this is the parameters by which I am saying success has met, been met. Um, and I think that's important, you know, like, you know, different points in your career, there are different things that are driving you and ambition looks different. You needed that particular kind of a reinvestment in your social capital building and not just be on, on your own. I think that there are times that it could be kind of rough to be, uh, the one at the top and you, you're kind of the only one also, not just the only one at the top, but you're kind of the only one. So, um, and that you had the relationship 
of people to say that to who then took you seriously and helped me make those introductions so that you you had a way in. You weren't just like cold calling your way uh, through a phone book <laughs> trying to like get the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I learned my lesson with the back of the New York Times classifieds. <laughs> so most of my positions have been based on relationships, I would say, ever since then. Um, and I, I, I mean, I think that that's, it's a priority for me and, um, and I love connecting other people. And so um, when I want to know something, uh, I, I just call somebody up. I mm think I don't have a lot of, you know, innate intelligence probably, but I always know who to call. Oh, that's an incredible superpower actually. You know, it's like you don't actually want to be the smartest person in the room, but you want to know that you can find the person you need the moment you need them. Like that connectional intelligence is what one of my guests coined the term connectional intelligence and she's written wow, about this. connectional that's so cool yeah yeah so really be thinking about like what kind of connector are you so um this is interesting what what's been the challenge as you've made all these shifts like did it start to feel like it, it fell into place like at some point you went back to entrepreneurship so was that also a big shift for you to make that decision so i think that um it, it is because it's easy to get caught up in um, the idea of the good girl. Like I went to school, I played by the rules. I got the, and I, I do think that uh, women do this more than men. Uh, you know, I got A's, I went to a good school, I got a good job. Um, and you feel like you're contributing. I, I felt independent, which was great. And so to then say, actually, um, at the time I started my first uh, real company, I was married. And, and to say, you know what? I'm going to do this. And that means that I may not make much money and I'm going to be working harder than ever. Um, and you're going to be the one that's making, paying our rent. I mean, it, it was so difficult that first time to do that. And I've done it since then, but the first time was for sure the hardest. And the company was moderately successful, maybe not as much as if I'd done the good thing and gone to a corporate and, you know, gotten a job like I had before and consulting, et cetera. So yeah. I am a mutant. I'm one of those mutants that kind of, I think, go into corporates and is can be the entrepreneur within the corporate and also um, can go out and start something, but starting something is so much harder. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yet you seem to have a, a passion to do that. You're not content to stay within the corporate structure, uh, being the entrepreneur. You, you have some sort of calling, it sounds like, to manifest what you feel like you can offer the world in, in this particular way. Um, so tell us where you are now. Like, well, I, here's a question for you. What do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today? The people that I meet, for sure. Um, I think that if I have in my last corporate job, um, I guess I was, I was really fortunate to start up a uh, program, an executive education for board directors 
that brought in some of the most amazing people. And so unlike in my previous decade of sort of running a sales team and meeting clients and the people that you met were the ones that held the budget, (laughs) you know, at XYZ corporate. And a lot of them were great, but it was very much structured in that way. And um, in the, the years of starting up the program and then in the years since going to this more portfolio career, um, I have been able to meet people and hear their stories and um, hear their aspirations. And that seems like such a great privilege to me because that's what people are put on this earth to do, right? They're not put on their earth, this earth to kind of go to nine to five and pay the bills. Everybody has something inside. And so, and this job, and I'm, I think podcasting probably too, you get to find out about that mm-hmm. from people and, and maybe help them just a little bit realize those dreams. What I like is that you keep emphasizing the idea of stories and storytelling. That seems to have come up a few mm-hmm. times and that uh, the sort of a natural curiosity that you have about people, which probably ties to your interest in travel and your interest in international business to begin with and, you know, that you wanted to hear these stories. I agree with you. The podcast has been a wonderful way to meet people and hear their stories and, and try to draw something to share with an audience, but also guests have often have aha moments as we're having these conversations because it's introspective, which is an opportunity we don't always have. So that's really it's yeah. interesting. Is storytelling something that you have sort of as a clear identifier for yourself? Or is that something that's just been sort of subtext? I think it's a clear aspiration for myself. And when I left my full-time corporate role, I did spend some time thinking, okay, I've spent some time building up my career capital, my financial capital, and I know I don't want to do the same thing that I've been doing, but what do I want to do? I didn't have any hobbies. I mean, I had three small kids and I was traveling all around Asia and Europe. And, you know, so I thought about what I used to love. And in the beginning, I thought I should, I need to write. And I did in every day I would spend some time, but then it broadened because I realized I want to get good at storytelling. And so is it my identity? No, I feel like I'm at the, an hour two of Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours, <laughs> but truly I was like, okay, I'm, you know, in my late forties. So I got 10 years, maybe by the time I'm 50 or 60, I'll get good at this. I'm good with that. That would be a privilege to be able to pursue. Um, and I do believe in stories and the power of stories to, in particular in this moment in time, um, change people's minds, show them different perspective, move them to action or empathy. So I am, you know, it is kind of a religion with me. <laughs> yeah. And I hope one day to be a good storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, but you're doing the work of working at it, which is what um, brings that, you know, talent to the surface is this, it's a muscle that you have to, to work at all the time. Um, yeah, I've been weaving stories into my, my weekly emails um, for the past well, year, year and a half, like little short that. stories. And, um, and, you know, first I really didn't know what I wanted to say to my email list. And it was sort of like, here's some links. <laughs> You're like, who, who wants to <laughs> click on, a, on an email that's like, here's the link. Um, 
yeah, and I've gotten such great response to the emails and like led to conversations and and it freed me to like write in a different way, um, which felt more natural. So I think anyone who's struggling to figure out how to write or write their weekly email or write a blog post, like try to tell a story, tell your story, tell someone else's story, tell a client's story, um, you know, do, do an amalgamation of several clients so you can just like anatomize them <laughs> somehow. But like, um, but yeah, there's a lot that we can learn. And, you know, there's that scientific data about all parts of our brain lighting up when people are listening to stories. People are much more engaged with stories. They remember things more than facts and figures. So yeah, storytelling, if, if there's a skill for anyone to start thinking about working on for the 2019, this could be a good one. So I want to make us a, a little shift here because, you know, I've been thinking about how through your arc that we just did of your, your career path, um, you've just met really interesting people. Like it sounds like you've had so many opportunities. I mean, obviously the Kissinger story was one I really want to dive into and I'm glad we did. But there's the network you've been able to develop since then. There's the different companies you've worked for. There's different companies you've created. There's the clients, there's the vendors, there's the people you meet when you're speaking and traveling. So how do you nurture and sustain connection? Not with the most immediate circle of people, your inner circle, but like that second and third layer out. Like, do you have any habits philosophies, practices that help you make that happen, sustain that space, the connection? Um, that's a great question. And I think um, I've been thinking about this when I launched my book because I do, um, because I sort of went out to all of those those second and third and probably 11th connections <laughs> that I hadn't heard from me in a while. Um, but it, it, it's fine to have people come back who I haven't spoken to in a bit and, you know, have them sort of know what's up with me and, um, and to find out what's up with them. I think that I have a pretty clear idea of the, you know, the, what those circles are. I think that in this day and age, there is that sense of being part of a tribe and that um, that's something that I would love to create for people uh, as I go forward. You know, if there's sort of the storytelling from me to you, but it's the, the sort of stories we tell each other and the sense of belonging and, and all that. So, for example, I know that I've been involved ever since, uh, I don't know, a couple decades ago with Asia Society, which is something that was founded by the Rockefellers to um, improve U.S. and Asia relations. And in New York, they have a beautiful museum and, you know, a cafe and a gift shop. And I, I have a whole bunch of people that are in that circle. And I kind of keep up with them because they are all doing things similar. And there's, you know, a young leaders conference and that kind of thing. And maybe I see them in a program. And then I have other circles that are for people with different interests. I am hugely passionate about education. And so that allows me to kind of organize it in my brain, I guess, um, to see where, um, you know, kind of catch up. What are you doing with Asia Society? And I see them and, you know, I, I just catch up with people. I think it's uh, genetically transplanted from my mother <laughs> to a certain extent. You know, that, that idea that people... it your time is, um, it's really worth the time to connect and really 
keep up with the people that have meant something to you in your lives. So it sounds like you juggle quite a few of these, I guess I'll call them circles. Um, mm-hmm. But you didn't start out with this many. You you sort of dive into one for a little while and established yourself and then added another and added another. And it sounds like they all are activity-based. Like you had a connection around and I, you know, a group, a meeting, an event that brought you back to in touch with people on a regular basis. Is that how you think most of them have, have been formed? Well, I think that I really like, I would say that they're not necessarily event-based, but they're often interest or values-based. Mm-hmm. So I feel like uh, when I was sent over to Asia as a young American, that I learned so much and it's profoundly changed my life. I'm married to a guy that was born in China and, um, you know, I've lived almost 20 years in Hong Kong. And so the relationship between Asia and the U S is I'm living it. And, and I feel, um, like it's important for me to return what I was given and sort of contribute in whatever way I can. And that's what brings people together. So it's not necessarily that we're members of a club or whatever. It's really that passion um, to make a difference in different in different ways yeah. that brings us together and keeps us in, in orbit. I have to just uh, say that I, I see a, a connection to an earlier comment you made about being a, a hall director. That really? This, <laughs> this, this idea of wanting to like pave the way for those coming after you because of what you went through with the experience of being an American moving to Asia and now you're continuing to be invested in that conversation, that dialogue to help those who are coming after you. Like there's still this way in which like you're really motivated to like kind of pay forward what you have experienced. There's there's a there's a connection. There's like a value that you have. It seems. Yeah, I and I love the way you make me sound so incredibly noble. Because generally, the way I think about it is like that I'm not that smart, and I try something, and it's so hard, and I go, "That was so. Why did nobody tell me about this?" And then I feel like you know, hell bent to to like lay out a little bit of a um, worksheet or a path for other people. So. They don't have to bumble around like I do so much. So that's kind of how I feel about it. But generationally, for sure, I feel like we owe, you know, we owe it to the next generation to really help them um, pave a path to, you know, to success and uh, personal resilience. That is that is true. Well, and I I will say that I am I am going to offer you this compliment again because I do think that <laughs> there are lots of people who bumble their way through new experiences, but not many who think I should create some sort of path for others to follow behind me and mm. want to make it easier. Like that, you know, some people are like, "Ugh, no one told me. That's really annoying. I had to figure this all out <laughs> myself. <sighs> That's really, you know, <laughs> ugh. And you're like, hmm, okay, how do I create a little worksheet to like leave behind <laughs> person? Um, and I think that's that's cool. Like that's how I think too. And I feel like one thing that I could draw from that for people listening is that there's a value in what you can offer. Like when people are always like, well, what can I offer somebody? I don't have a skill. I don't have this and all that. If you have a lived experience and you can share for someone else something that will make it easier for them to follow that lived experience behind you, um, that is a gift. That is a great way to also form relationships with other people 
who similarly um, have had that shared experience and are also trying to give back, which is kind of how some of these relationships for you have been forming. Um, so these are these are like little nuggets that I think others can can find, and it's a nice way of meeting people that are very diverse. I imagine it's not it's like shared passion or shared interests or shared values, but different in so many other demographic and livelihood and you know families of origin and countries of origin and all those other ways. What a beautiful way to diversify a network, yet still have some semblance of connection around it. Is this am I, is yeah. this actually how your network is? It really is, and I've been thinking about how I guess similar to the pave the path because when I was doing research for my book, one of the things that people said they wanted to understand more was how to create a sort of intergenerational brain trust. Um, and we were talking about you know as you go into like your second or third act. Um, hence the generation. But I think people do have um, some kind of wonder at how they could possibly do that. And it's made me think, how do I do that? I love hanging out with young people. I mean, you know, all kinds of people, but I find that they really challenge my thinking um, and we have a lot to give to each other. And so I've been thinking about how... um, if you're somebody who just never does that or doesn't come into contact uh, with other people that aren't in your small demographic, how do you break out of that? Um, And I do think it is, um, I think people in my experience who work together form those interesting relationships. You decide on what's important to you and you find other people no matter who that can contribute. You know, some one of the things I talk to my clients, my coaching clients about a lot, because um, I work with women and they're like, who are doing their like second, third act, you know, career. Mm-hmm. And it's their time and they're so excited about this new venture they're doing or something. And and they always act as if they're starting from scratch, as if they're starting with a, I don't know anyone in this space. And then I remind them that they have 20, 25, 30 years of work history. And there are relationships that they had with coworkers 15 years ago. And you don't know where those coworkers have ended up, but you like them. Would you want to hear from them? Oh, I'd love to hear from them. Okay, well, why don't you reach out to them? They're like, oh, and then like when they do, all this sort of magical, like new possibilities come. It's not like every every phone call leads to a business plan or a client, but it just rekindles those connections with good people who have your back, who know your history, who appreciate you, who are inspired that you're doing this new thing, that you're learning what they're up to. And that we all, most people aren't still in the same field. <laughs> you know, you're like, but yeah. they're in banking and I'm not in banking anymore. I'm like, how do you know they're still in banking? <laughs> you know, like they're off doing something else. So um, yeah, like appreciating those connections you have in, in those moments of like, who knew that the people you were friends with at 25 and 30 that you'd reach out to, you know, as you're heading into, you know, into your 40s and 50s, like it, but and, and what would you have done differently <laughs> if you had known that? <laughs> um, but that, that's like part of what I wish people could really think about. And it's hard to. But do you do any kind of in-person hosting of events like dinners, salons, gatherings? I don't do it regularly, but that's been on my plan to do. Um, I do gather people um, and I guess a couple of years ago, I was the chair of the education advisory group. So I started gathering people that were in um, 
large corporates and government and academia and young people to talk about what changes we could make in Hong Kong in particular. Um, I wanted to focus quite local and give back since I've been here so long. And would just gather people together to talk about, you know, uh, what a specific topic. And I'm, I'm hoping to do that now that I have um, the Future Proof book out because I do get invited to a lot of gatherings and I do more spontaneously gather people. But I think um, some of these issues are, are things that we can only solve together. And one of the things that I think I can contribute is pulling together people who don't usually talk to each other. So very corporate HR folk um, and startups who are doing, you know, mental health and well-being um, neurofeedback <laughs> or, yeah. or whatnot. Yeah, no, I can see that. I absolutely see that in how you talk about relationships and the network that you clearly have developed. Um, I just think that you being the host and convener would be really powerful. It sounds like you've already had the experience of doing this. So I'm encouraging you by way of this conversation for you to make that part of your plan. <laughs> yes, <sir>. um, <laughs> report I, back. I know. Okay. Yes. Ass assignment. Mission accepted. <laughs> But I, I just think, wow, what a, what an amazing opportunity to be able to be in the same space together and tackle these big questions. Like your book raises big questions that gives people food for thought. Um, and, and you being the author allows you to kind of draw people into the conversation in a different way. Um, and then you never know the like sort of ripple effect of that and how people will start to change their thinking and because you you know you you write a book not to be rich you write a book to kind of carry a conversation forward um you, and yeah. you've been doing that it sounds like there's been some progress so um so kudos to that and and keep doing it so here's one of my favorite all-time questions this week as it comes to the close of this so if we're reconnecting a year from now which i know we're going to stay in touch we're in Dory Clark's recognized expert uh facebook group with all the other fantastic people in there i love that group love Dory um, mm -hmm. so we're reconnecting a year from now and we are celebrating all of your successes. I want to know what achievements we're going to be talking about. So what are you looking forward to in the next year? Um, my next year with the book coming out, um, is about gathering those people. So I, know that not everybody wants to buy a book and, you know, go through it. And, and it's a lonely process, I think, going through a transition. Um, so, and I've, I've launched and done so many online um, courses and communities. So I, I'm hoping that I can gather people together that want to go through step-by-step, step, making the changes to stay relevant and stay resilient and really um, set themselves on a path from fear and I don't know what's out there and I just feel uncomfortable and I don't know what to do to almost like a 90-day sprint where they can say, you know what, I kind of got this. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, but I feel more confident and I have some practices that will allow me to evaluate new opportunities, be they, you know, as small as going on uh, on a blog or starting a blog or, or, um, 
as big as moving to a new country. You know, I think that that would be the thing that I would celebrate the most is knowing that I could gather people together and start helping them. And then that I can gather a community that can also help each other. And it's been a huge inspiration to me to be part of um, Dory Clark's community, because even just in the launching of my book, you were super helpful. Um, and I just, it's a, a community like not many others. And so if I can start gathering my people that are thinking about the future and kind of their transitions from corporate work and other things um, out here, I would be happy. We'd be popping the champagne. <laughs> yeah, we certainly would be. Um, it's kind of interesting to figure out what time to do that, <laughs> where it would be after no. for both of us. <laughs> I know. No, I already know. It's when you come out to Asia ah. and we have a gathering. Yes. And you are the person that people are going to come and meet. So done. This is brilliant. That's what we're going to yeah. do. Let's make it we're happen. We're going to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people find you and follow your work? Um, thanks, Robbie. I have uh, a website, which is dianawudavid.com. And I have uh, the first two chapters of the new book, Future Proof, which you can download there. Fantastic. We also are going to have links in the show notes to LinkedIn and Twitter. So people can kind of connect with you on those social media platforms. And you'll find all those links and a lot of other things we talked about today at ontheschmooze.com. Look for it there. Well, thank you so much, Diana. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Robbie. Always great to speak to you. Thanks so much for the opportunity to talk to your listeners. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Diana. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Dot com. Look for episode 135. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources for today's episode. If you enjoy this episode with Diana, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week and I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.